I acknowledge that the land I work, live, and play on is the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of Van X Van. I'm your host, Xanthia Vandelay, and I'm joined today by award-winning cartoonist, writer, publisher, and is it fair to say adult entertainer? <laughs> I guess so. Carter Manier. Uh How are you, Carter? I'm good, thank you. So for those not familiar with your work, how would you describe yourself? I guess primarily I would describe myself as a cartoonist, um, although I have certainly been making more like porn than comics recently. Maybe a zine maker. Is, is how I would describe myself more accurately. But I uh, run Disket Press, which is a small uh, press run out of my home that uh, publishes the work, mostly of uh, up-and-coming trans creators. And I also make pornography. Um, I think that sort of encapsulates everything I do currently. So you do do so many different things. And how would you define your profession if you had to write it down on a form if i if i had to write it down for tax reasons for example um i think that i think i would put artist most broadly i, I definitely see the things i do as falling within sort of like the same artistic practice you know uh for business taxes i'm a publisher but for personal you know just carta stuff I would call myself an artist or if I had to get more specific, maybe a writer. I don't know. Oh, a writer a is a kind of, kind of artist falls under the same umbrella in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, so speaking of your art, your comics in my research, uh, I read your story. Uh, Lara Croft was my family mm -hmm. and it was very moving. It reminds me of my complicated relationship with video games and my parents growing up. Uh, do you find autobiographical pieces cathartic? I do. I also find them easier to do. Like, there's a lot of stuff bouncing around in my brain that I want to tackle because it's important or it's been impacting. And what I found in my own practice is that if I try to write fiction, I just end up writing autobiography. But like everyone, you know, is an anthropomorphic animal or whatever, you know, like it it feels more direct to just write the autobio because otherwise I was sort of groping towards the autobio and that's less satisfying to me. Like I found that being as direct as possible when I'm trying to talk about the stuff that's most important to me is the best way to go about it. Oh, speaking of um, autobiographies with anthropomorphic animals, are you at all uh, inspired by mouse? So like most people, um, I read Mouse when I was quite a bit younger. I think, I mean, it's certainly an impactful book with uh, a powerful legacy. I would not say that my, my work is necessarily inspired by it. Um, if I were to draw like um, more direct inspiration, I would say the work of someone like Phoebe Gleckner or Jean-Vivre Castre or Debbie Dreschler, um, women cartoonists dealing with very direct stories about like childhood and teen trauma that they experienced. 
are like the ones that have influenced me most as a creator. Yeah, dealing with these teen traumas and things is something that uh is actually pretty new for me, dealing with it myself. So reading uh, a lot of your biographical comics uh, actually really stuck struck a chord with me personally. Which do you think was the hardest or even most important, in your opinion, that you've published? Oh, that's an interesting question. I would say that they're all hard, but the ones that deal with my family are the hardest. Sort of like an example of like an, an easier one would be like I made a comic for Polygon about Hitman, the game Hitman, and um, sort of like how I read trans themes into it or like I identified with it when I was coming out. And like that was a little easier because I was only dealing with myself and my own feelings. Doing something like the short comic R.I.P. Mom or Lara Croft Was My Family or uh, the comic that I did for um, the Drawing Power anthology edited by Diane Newman, which is all about like uh, tales of uh, like true stories of um, sexual assault by uh, women creators. In those cases, like I'm dealing with not only myself, but I'm also drawing family members. And there's like a big emotional charge there um, always. And it's just difficult to go back into my memory and like try and pull up detail to a point where I feel that I'm accurately representing what was happening. And it's not to say that I have the most photorealistic style, but I'm still interested in like capturing something authentic about a moment. And and I would say that it's most difficult when I have to think back to something that involved people who I'm either scared of or whose opinions I care about, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you, and feel free now to answer this question, do you know if um, some of those members of your family have read these comics? Um, I'm sure they have. Uh, I'm really not in touch with my family and my mother is unfortunately deceased. So uh, I don't know firsthand what anyone's reaction has been. Um, The only member of my family I'm really close to is my brother, um, who's extremely supportive. But yeah, I'm sure that they're reading it. I'm sure that members of my family are reading my work or at least aware of it. And I honestly try not to think about it too much because I'm not making it for them or with them in mind. Like I'm writing about my own experiences and my intent in making work like this is not to like call them out or put them on the spot. Like I'm not making this work to call attention to who they are in real life so much as I am to talk about experiences that I personally have had. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for answering that. I just keep drawing these parallels. I have a similar thing. I don't, my mother's deceased. I don't talk to my family except for my sister. Um, Sorry to keep bringing it around about me as well, but I definitely understand where you're coming from. No, of course. Speaking of your comics, you mentioned uh, that you're the owner of uh, Diskette Press, a printer and publisher in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mm -hmm. How did your work in comics lead to this? So I table at various conventions, like small press conventions. And when you table at small press conventions, uh, it involves like having printed copies of your work. 
And uh, before I was doing anything with like self-publishing, I would have to go to a print shop and pay a fair amount of money to get, you know, 200 copies of a zine that I made printed or even, you know, 50 copies of a zine I made printed. Um, and it's not super cheap. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever done that yourself, but it's usually like in the hundreds of dollars per uh, project range. And um, there was a print shop that I had found uh, in like a couple towns over that was very friendly and they had uh, like an old risograph machine that was not in use. And I like asked them about it uh, at some point, you know, like, oh, do you think you could print me something on that? And they were like, oh, maybe we don't know. Um, and then something like a year later, they called me out of the blue and asked if I wanted to buy the machine. Uh, they just wanted to free up space and they offered it to me at like a ludicrously low price, but it's also like a, you know, like a 400 pound machine. It's extremely unwieldy and difficult to, to move. So the condition was like, if I can get it out, they'll just give it to me and all of the stuff for like a, a very low price. So it kind of fell into my lap, you know, once I had this machine that was capable of doing, you know, fairly large print runs fairly quickly, it made sense to me to not only be printing my own work, but also print work for my friends. And from there, print work for artists who I admire, you know, or like artists who I think deserve more attention. What is a risograph printer? A risograph printer, I mean, if anyone listening is interested, I recommend Googling it because it's easier to understand if you can see it um, than it is to describe it. But at the most basic level, I think the the sort of like common explanation is it's something like a, a cross between a copy machine and a screen printing machine. It is a printer that uses liquid ink, which is in a cylindrical drum. When you put something on the copy bed or feed an image in through a computer, an attached computer, it burns a screen like a a screen into basically like a roll of paper. So it's not as robust as a screen printing screen, but it burns a screen and wraps the screen around the drum. And then the drum uh, with the liquid ink rotates uh, the ink uh, over the paper. So like as the cylinder rotates, it sort of pushes the paper through the, the machine and spits it out. And then you have a single color image. Uh, I hope this explanation is doing it any justice. It makes me think of the classic image of uh, how newspapers are made going through all those rollers. Yeah, it's similar. So um, it's it's like a very scaled down version of that. Um, so it can print one color at a time, at least my machine can. And so what that means is if I'm doing multicolor prints uh, for each new color, I'm switching out the ink drum and feeding the same piece of paper through again with a different print screen on top of it. So in, in that sense, it's very much like screen printing. It's really, really good for doing quick, multiple copies of the same image. Uh, so it is not a machine that you would want to use to make one copy of something. It's a machine that is best suited to make, you know, 50 to 10,000 copies of something. 
and it can print very quickly because basically it prints an image as quickly as a motor can rotate the cylinder, which is quite fast. So at, at its fastest, it can print well over, you know, 120 pages a minute. Wow. It's very quick. Let's talk about the, the, the main work I was introduced to you through, which is a uh, napkin. Or th- mm-hmm. thank you for having sex with Carter Monia, a zine you published in, I believe, 2019? Yeah, last year. Um, could you provide a brief summary for the listeners? Yeah, so Napkin is not a comic. It is a, uh, a zine with photographs and prose and, you know, images, but not drawings, really. It is a collection of... Uh, personal writing about sex, uh, erotic images, and then the sort of uh, central piece of the book is that um, over a period of several months, I had sexual partners fill out comment cards after we had sex, one per person. And so the, the book has a couple dozen of those in it also. It's quite a long zine. It's, it's like 120 interior pages. And what I intended with it was sort of to give this like as thorough as I could image of like my sort of exploration of what it means to be like a trans woman and a sexual being and a slut and what, what it means to be intimate with other people. It's yeah, it's one of the things I'm definitely proudest of. I loved reading it uh, myself. Thank you. I purchased it on Christmas Day. So I've a, oh. <laughs> I have a long-standing tradition with myself of uh, reading comics, or in this case, a zine, as you said, on Christmas Day. Beyond being intensely erotic, I found it incredibly moving. Uh, I remember I reached out to you while I was still publicly closeted, or um, an egg, as some in the know might say, as a... Uh, you described um, to a T my experience of uh, disassociation during sex when I thought I was a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I it was. I don't think I w- was even able before that to put into words how I felt. And then not only finding a description of it, but to find someone who enjoys sex so much as yourself describing that um, was made me quite hopeful as well. And um, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm I'm really glad I connected. Let's um just back up a bit before I get too emotional. But when you began taking comment cards, did you always know that you would turn them into this piece of work? I didn't know it would turn into this piece of work specifically, but I knew that I would make work out of it. Um, I had been making zines about my transition and personal life. The the one I'd made before was a collection of selfies and writing about selfies called I Must Be Doing Something Right. And when I started sleeping around a lot, I thought, like, I'm definitely going to want to make work out of this and what's a good way to make work out of this. And so I came up with the idea of the comment cards and my initial idea was just to have basically like a bound collection of the cards with no commentary. Like, here is just like a little pocket-sized book of like all of these comment cards I've received. And then from there, like the idea got more and more fleshed out of like, I want to include writing, I want to include photographs, and really like 
turn this into more of like a, an exploration than just like sort of a weird object. Well, I'm I'm glad you did. On a slightly different note, maybe maybe not even different at all. Um, speaking of making work out of your sex, uh, you recently started an OnlyFans and have quickly risen to prominence as one of the top creators on the platform. How has that experience been for you? It's been great. I love it. I have always wanted to make pornography, and it feels really good to participate in something that shaped my life, for better or worse, in so many ways. And it feels, I don't know, very affirming to me that I can objectify myself in the way that I find attractive when other people are objectified, if that makes sense. I don't know. Like, I... I've had a very good experience with it. Obviously, doing OnlyFans during, you know, COVID-19 lockdown is different than the experience of doing pornography, like, under more regular circumstances where, like, you're potentially interacting with other people much more. So I cannot say that, like, my experience has been representative of, like, what it means to do pornography necessarily. But, like, I've very much seen it as, like, an extension of the artistic practice that I have in place where, like, I try and be very candid about what my life is like and my interests are. And... In that sense, I feel like it's been quite successful. Like, I, I really feel like I'm communicating and, like, disclosing things that are interesting to me and also hot to me. Um, it's, like, paying well, which I love. I love money. I love having money. <laughs> I'm sure it's uh, very nice to be rewarded so much. It must be very validating. Yeah, it is. It is. It really is like, I'm not like, to be clear, I know that there are like people on OnlyFans or whatever who are like, I make, yeah, I've made a hundred thousand dollars off OnlyFans and that's not me. I'm not, if I get there, I'll be ecstatic, but like, that is not where I am. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, it's nice as far as I'm used to taking freelance jobs for like a couple hundred dollars at a time, you know? So like having sort of a consistent freelance job that feels much more actually rewarding is great. It pays better than most professional gigs I've taken. Yeah, and I, I think some of those those people that are making that much as sort of the gentrifiers of the platform. It's Yeah. It's been a rapidly accelerated platform. I've heard some rumblings that uh the company itself is trying to crack down on sex workers using it, which is seems absolutely bonkers to me it seems bonkers but also like i wouldn't be surprised you know like it's it's how so many platforms go you know like paypal got its start as a company that like would allow sex workers to use it and really build it up and then kick them all off you know a lot of platforms do that and like OnlyFans made this tweet recently that were that was like, there are so many different people on OnlyFans. There are like jugglers and uh, magicians and language teachers and like sort of very conspicuously not mentioning that most people use OnlyFans to see people, you know, coming <laughs> like uh, 
I wouldn't be surprised if someone inside OnlyFans is thinking like, oh, you know, like we have an opportunity to turn ourselves into Twitch or something, you know? Well, even Twitch, to use that example, used to be a lot more friendly towards sex work in general and right. specifically women's bodies. Like how uh, I like to say that after coming out, now my nipples have become illegal. Uh, whereas before mm-hmm. on Twitch, I could probably, I could I could sit and play Minecraft with my shirt off, but but... Now I gotta point the camera upwards. This this trend of heavy air quotes legitimizing has really negative messaging in general towards sex work as a profession. I mean they could have easily turned themselves into the vanguard of sex work, especially with Backpage and Craigslist closing down mm-hmm. those sort of safer avenues for it. But I don't know, I hope we see we see a change. If they do boot uh sex workers off OnlyFans, do you think you will move to another platform or is that will that experiment be over for you so i'm definitely trying to to diversify a little bit like i'm trying to set up like a mini vids page which is a site that is much more explicitly like about sex work you know in in all of their branding and and all of their everything i don't know like only fans already it's for performers Unless, you know, like it's already very explicitly not for full service sex workers. And like, I don't know if you've used the platform yourself, but like you can't even type the word meet like M-E-E-T. Like it will not allow you to send a message with that word in it. If they think that you're trying to coordinate like IRL meetups or anything, they will boot you off the platform. And so like that that's been in the works for a while and there's like this fine line that they're towing of like allowing performers who are sex workers a lot of them but like not wanting them to acknowledge the fact that they do any form of sex work outside of like on-camera stuff which is frustrating i mean like it's all this fasta sesta nightmare shit and like there need to be much broader reforms to protect full service sex workers. And I certainly cannot speak to the experience of being a full service sex worker because I never have been one and, and I don't want to to presume anything. But like, yeah, OnlyFans right now is like a good, for me, it's like a good starting point into a type of content creation that I've been very interested in. And it's a good way to build a little bit of a platform. And I'm also definitely trying to like broaden my sort of internet footprint so that if OnlyFans kicks me off for some reason or does go totally belly up or transitions to just being four magicians and jugglers or whatever, then I won't have lost all potential forms of income. You know, I am privileged in that this is not my only income, but it's certainly the majority of it right now. And I would prefer not to lose it. So, you know, I'll I'll keep exploring my options. But right now, OnlyFans is, is working great. And I will continue using it until it becomes no longer viable. Have you been successful in converting your, uh, your subscribers, your users on OnlyFans to other platforms? So I've just started. Um, so no, but like... I'm talking about like I was literally like setting up mini vid stuff last night. So right, 
there. I mean, even like uh, to your Instagram or Twitter. So Twitter, I, I made like a specific porn Twitter and like that has a couple thousand followers on it. So it's getting there, you know, like ideally I'd like to have more because that's like a good base. But also like the thing about having a porn Twitter is I'm so ready for that account to get deleted at any point, you know, right. which will suck, but is common. Instagram, I don't know. I have some followers on Instagram. I don't use that site nearly as much. They're a lot harsher about uh, uh, nipples and yes, any any sort of suggestion of sex on on Instagram. Yes, absolutely. So I sort of have to see, you know, I what I'm hoping for, in a way, is to build up sort of like a loyal base of people who would follow me to wherever I went. And I feel like I have at least a handful of people who would. The thing about OnlyFans that, you know, I don't want to let go of as long as possible is they take 20%, but that is like really low comparatively, like other sites take more. And having experience with um, adult credit card processing stuff, I know that like, doing it myself would not necessarily be a whole lot better for the hassle, you know? So like, I am happy to stay with them for now and like, let them eat that 20% as long as like, I can keep operating and, and building and whatever. That's the thing that's so baffling to me. Like we talked about these people pulling in a hundred K. I mean, that's $20,000 in their pocket that they're just throwing out the window. Like, are they, are they, are they not, motivated by profit like other capitalist companies are they the actual pure christian company i don't know you know like so much of it has to do with like credit card processing is my understanding and like which is why like a lot of platforms don't allow very specific things like peeing or like fisting like even many vids which is like a very porn friendly company because their whole platform is is explicitly just porn like I was looking through their terms of service and they allow peeing, but not pee drinking. And they allow fisting, but not excessive fisting, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> excessive fisting. Um, and like OnlyFans just doesn't allow fisting. OnlyFans doesn't allow peeing technically, you know, like obviously people pee on OnlyFans, but they get around it. And my understanding is that those are specifically rules set by credit card companies like Visa or, or whoever that like they don't want to process transactions that could in any way even get close to running afoul of like FOSTA SESTA shit. Right. I think. So the core issue um, here is FOSTA SESTA. Right. And like sort of like the fear of, of these companies, which is also why like you generally can't use PayPal to pay for porn on any site because like PayPal's terms of service like explicitly forbids that. So yeah, it's it's super obnoxious and doesn't make any sense to me. And like, as far as like, are they not capitalists? Like, one of the most popular people on OnlyFans who I've seen, like I keep getting recommended her on Twitter, is like some skinny white cis gamer girl who like doesn't actually get naked as far as I can tell. And like makes is popular on Reddit and like makes a lot of Star Wars references. So maybe they're hoping for more of that, the sort of like, like almost like Instagram striptease, but like technically not. 
hardcore porn content creation. They're trying to kind of have their cake and eat it too. It sounds yeah. like. Well, uh, what's the next project for Cardamonia? It's an interesting question. Um, so right now, a lot of our printing stuff is kind of shut down because of the um, the lockdown. Like, I don't live in a very big apartment. And now that everyone's home all the time, every day, there's like very, very little space to actually spread out and like do the the printing stuff that we usually do. So until that situation is addressed, either through the end of the lockdown or like actually moving all of our printing stuff to like some dedicated studio space somewhere else, um, diskette or at least diskette's production is largely on hold, which means that like new zines are also on hold, except if they're going to be digital. So in the meantime, I don't know, I'm trying to build out my porno empire, I guess, and working with diskette artists on like future projects with the intent of, you know, like printing them whenever we're able to. It seems like every show this year has been canceled already. So, you know, the hope is that maybe at this time next year, something like the Toronto Comic Arts Festival will happen again and we can actually you know, display work and make money in that way again. But in the short term, I'm sort of trying to work on projects that I can do by myself late at night (laughs) when everyone else in my apartment has gone to bed. And like shooting porn has been an easy way to go about that. Um, Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, It's been an absolute honor. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug on the way out? Um, I guess onlyfans.com slash Carta, if you think I have a real hot and sexy voice. And more generally, uh, diskettepress.com is where we have all of the, the scenes from our our artists. Yeah, I, I think that's everything I would want to plug. I'll link all of that in the show notes. Are you a new DM? Are you an experienced DM? Doesn't matter. Listen to DMs of Vancouver for great DMing advice. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.